I went down to the crossroads, fell down on my knees. Went down to the crossroads, fell down on my knees. Hello out there in Radio Land, and welcome to Mountain Talk. I'm Rachel Geringer, and in this episode, we bring you an hour of history and poetry from the Southern Appalachian Writers Cooperative, also known as SOC. Formed in 1974 out of a gathering at the Highlander Center, SOC aims to support Appalachian writers in their efforts to take control of a regional identity and to take action on issues impacting mountain land and mountain people. Each year, members of SOC travel to Whitesburg from near and far to read poems as part of Apple Shop's annual Seed Time on the Cumberland Festival. I sat down with a handful of SOC members at this year's festival to learn more about their personal and collective writing histories and to hear some great poems. The Southern Appalachian Writers Cooperative is a loosely organized group of writers. Um, it's Appalachian writers um, who get together and support each other's work. We support the work of, of writers of all levels, all ages. Our primary source of contact is a, um, the annual fall gathering, which takes place in October at the Highlander Center near outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, we've been getting together there since 1974. Um, 1974, when the Southern Appalachian Writers Co-op was formed, was kind of a period of the, uh, the Appalachian literary renaissance. And it was when Appalachian writers were, were beginning to kind of take charge of their own identities again. Um, we had gone through so many periods of outsiders writing about Appalachians uh, to the local uh, or to the color novels, the travel logs of the 19th century, to uh, lots of other different things, um, the yellow journalism of the 19th century. And um, people like Harriet Arno had begun to kind of be forgotten. So um, uh, writers gathered together. We have to remember it was, a, it was a time when travel wasn't so easy as it was, and communication certainly was much more difficult. And as writers generally write in solitude, it was great to be able to get together and share each, with each other's work and see who was doing what and what was happening elsewhere. And uh, so every year we get together at Highlander and uh, make those connections again. So I think next, if, if you could all kind of introduce yourselves, maybe your name and where you're from and how long you've been connected to SOC. You want to start? Okay. I'm Roger Collins. I'm from Whitesburg. Um, got involved with this group loosely through uh, Jim Webb and Scott Goble at Wiley's Last Resort where they would gather and hang out. And then uh, this past fall, I made my first trip to the Highlander Center and uh, my freshman experience there. So uh, it's a good group of people, and um, I'll talk more about that later. Great. Um, hi, I'm Rachel, um, and I, I'm, I haven't been part of the group for very long at all, um, but I've admired them for many years and uh, got uh, to know a few of them at the uh, Appalachian Studies Association Conference in Cincinnati this year. So, um, really excited to be here and I have some allergies going on so uh, sorry about that but um, I'm a poet and a writer and I live in Olive Hill um, and yeah 
And uh, I'm Matt Parsons, and that's, that's my sister who was just talking there. Um, we live in Olive Hill, like she said, on a family homestead, and and uh, just try to do a bit of farming and a bit of writing all, all at the same time. We're both uh, MFA students at uh, EKU's Bluegrass Writer Studio. Um, yeah, that's about all there is to say about that, I reckon. Hi, I'm Jim Webb, and uh, I've been, I'm from here in Letcher County, and uh, I've been involved with uh, SOC for uh, a very long time, uh, from the beginnings, and uh, it has uh, been one of the finest things to happen on the Appalachian literary scene, and well, absolutely one of the finest things to happen, because uh, not only do we published the Pine Mountain Sand and Gravel, the annual anthology, but uh, we published New Ground back in the 70s, and we also had uh, uh, an opportunity to uh, encourage each other uh, back then, and that continues through today. And and so uh, as far as Appalachian literature goes, the Southern Appalachian Writers Co-op has uh, been um, uh, an integral part of it and a very important part in helping writers uh, assert themselves in this uh, sometimes very hard to assert yourself world. I'm Scott Goble. I live in Campbell County, Kentucky. I've been a part of uh, SOC for about 20 years. Uh, I've served as uh, uh, editor of Pine Mountain Sand and Gravel. Uh, I've was a co-coordinator, as was Jim Webb, co-coordinator. Actually, you were a coordinator all by yourself, weren't you? Mm-hmm. <coughs> yep. At any rate, uh, um, as Jim said, you know, there's a, a, a lot of things that Salk has done over the years, and, and the important thing to remember about the Pine Mountain Sand and Gravel and the, um, um, the anthology New Ground is that um, these things started at a time when regional writers didn't have a lot of places to be published. And um, uh, Jim and, uh, and Jenny Collins, uh, they're the ones who started Pine Mountain Sand and Gravel right here, the journal right here in Whitesburg, um, back in when? 1980? Mid-70s. Mid-70s. So, um, and then recently... Um, um, one of the things that Salk has done is uh, we, about two years ago, published another anthology called Quarried, by, uh, published by Dos Madres Press. And um, it's a wonderful kind of collection of not the best of everything that's been in Pine Mountain Sand and Gravel, but just a selection. And Richard Haig did the editing and, and, and kind of put this thing together in a way that each section just beautifully speaks to itself. Um, so there's that too. And Carl Banks helped uh, start the first Pine Mountain Sand and Gravel. and It was born at the uh, Courthouse Cafe in downtown Whitesburg, and uh, the first issue was printed across the street at the Eagle Printing, and it certainly has uh, grown quite a bit since then. But did you and Carl part ways after your poem, Buzzsaws in the Rain? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> um, one thing about it is you you sometimes have to be courageous and uh, not let uh, ordinary standards uh, keep you from saying what needs to be said. Like Samantha B. recently. <laughs> Anybody catch that one? All right, never mind. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. <laughs> does um, it matter? Did you say in? You said intra, integral. Can you pronounce it that way instead of integral? Just curious. Just a little. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's your quiz for the day, <laughs> kiddies. There's a blank stare from across the table there for a minute. <laughs> Roger, have you had your coffee this morning? I have not. Okay, that explains a lot. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll get right on that. Well, maybe now if um, folks have something ready to read, we could we could hear a little bit of writing and then talk a little bit more about the cooperative. Okay. Well, I can start us off. Um, a number of years ago, I... I discovered a character named Stuart and I've been writing about Stuart in third person and and also um, first person as well I'm trying to figure out where he's going um, this is a Stuart poem not learning to swim first day of swim lessons at the neighborhood pool Stuart death gripped a foam board kicking and kicking all morning the board hurts my titties, he whined. The swim coach barely looked up, told him, buck up. He did. He rested his elbows on the board away from his chest, which worked until the coach made him quit, called him sissy boy. Walking home, his arms crossed tight over his chest, over the towel around his neck. It eased the pain a bit. He did not cry as his nipples bled, then scabbed over into his cotton shirt. He'd cry later, when he got home, when he was alone, when he peeled away the shirt. What you got, Jim? <laughs> oh, well, um, I, yeah, no, I I'll, I'll, let me read a couple, yeah. and okay. you, you can edit it as Great. needed. Great. Yeah. This is Grandpa's Thumb. Grandma's words rang clear. That old bastard was bleeding everywhere. I'd make him clean up this mess if he wasn't still drunk. I follow the blood trail in reverse, past the worn brass doorknob, down the back steps, across the patio where Grandpa must have stopped. A blood pool draws flies, some sipping at the edge where a footprint thinned it more agreeable to their taste. Through the backyard I track, note where it falls into the grass, drizzles back onto the path to the garage. At the door I look up, see Grandma's reflection. She's looking out the kitchen window. She's always looking out. Stepping through the door, I hear the whine of the saw, still running an hour after Grandpa cut off his thumb. On a brighter note, <laughs> <laughs> 
This is a uh, father-son poem. Lesson number 12, Electricity. That black wire's hot, he said. If you touch, electricity jolted through me so quick I didn't hear the rest. Every muscle contracted. I couldn't let go. I felt a dull pain on my, in my arm, landed hard on my backside. Dad was matter-of-fact. That didn't take long, he said. I wobbled to my feet. What didn't take long, I said. Getting knocked on your ass, he said. Did you learn anything? The black wire's hot, I said. I guess you got to respect it. Good, he said. Now take a look at my side cutters. The hole was obvious, circled in black on the top of the cutting edge. Right in a sweet spot, he said. Put them in your box. You all right? I know I landed on my ass, I said, but why is my arm hurt? Had to punch you off it, he said, or you'd likely be dead. Your mother would never let me hear the end of it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just read a couple here. Uh, I'm Matt Parsons, and I do a fair amount of um, character sketches. People I've met, my most common methodology for writing is somebody said something I thought was funny. I wrote it down in my phone, and I looked at it a year or two later and said, ah, I should do something with that. Anytime I've got writer's block, I just read through my notes. This one's called Planned Parenthood. It's for my grandfather, Sid. I ain't planning on it raining, he said. The way he said it, you would think it was up to him. He's one of those thin men with a winning smile, grinning ear to ear like he's hearing a good joke all the time. Throw them taters in the basket, he said. Just pick them up, hope for luck, and chuck them. But luck is such a fickle thing, like belt buckles and banjo strings. Things that always need adjusting can be found lying around and rusting. He was good as grandpas go, until his legs began to slow, and rocks had grown inside his lungs, and anger touched his dancing tongue. He didn't mean to call me lazy. That's just some crazy joke he told, because he didn't feel like growing old. see. This next one's uh, about our neighbors. It's called Hog Lot. At night they sound like monsters. At night they screech and squeal. They root around in dark magic from some weed-wild story. Alas, your pork picked out by some pill-sick prick with a get-rich-quick scheme and his tongue tied around a forty. Portly pot-bellied piglets with their twisted squiggly tails stuck between the rails of a plain container, the remainder of the man's plan crammed onto concrete. But the big pig slipped in the mud hole, rolled in it, and shit in it, and curdled the blood with their mud waller and wails. Concerned the better brothers, mothers running down the hillside, can't tell if she's running just to try to get away. She stops at the lot, can't see for all the squealing, can't feel for her young among the muddy mess. Neighbors yelling at kids, neighbors yelling at neighbors. Dogs wailing hunger, but it sounds like something more. Hogs swilling slop, 
could have been chewing on babies. Can't be letting them kids flip-flop by the hog lot. That fence is more convincing to the sow than to the boar. That one's just a tad bit dark. <laughs> um, here's one that's a little dark and a little hopeful. Though more one than the other. It's called The Best and Worst of Last Night's Fight. A bruised orange, a bloodied plum not running, all fight, no flight, he's grounded that way. Don't pay no dues, don't sing no blues, whistles Dixie and Andy, and he's handy with a knife. Taken on a lifetime fighter, born with the cord around his throat, of sturdy folk, who prayed around the table that they may remain able to bend the ground into round potatoes and money, running from sunny fields to shady shacks made of cracks and boards where he's been up against a wall before. Two boys become canvas bodies and each a painter. Ain't their strokes amusing? It's confusing to say which way the wet paint went or from whence it came to cause such bruising. Funny how they bloody one another for what one said of the other's mother. You want to read a couple? I can. Or um, that's fine. Um, sure. And I'm I'm Rachel again, and uh, I'll read this one because I read it at ASA, and everybody seemed to like it pretty well there. So this is uh, Polly's Tall Order. Slick metal skillets meant for sitting, getting a written numeral name tag, bags of chips, spit and dip, and empty pop cans sort of shimmer where the silver shines through. Rows of clothes, and don't they show, the old man was a gander, the lady of a finer feather, fifty years they spent together. Pleasant weather for disposal of moldy throws and garden hoses, chili dogs that's fit for Moses, part in smoky seas, the burnt bush of backer pipes, personal brine sidelining the bigger bitters, sunshine or the gossip makes faces, color like tomatoes, flicking dollars from their wrists, one man insists, the eighties Cadillac out back, He's not worth hauling out for scrap. Still, he pays a couple thousand. Now it's time to sell the housing. After they've unpacked the attic, the old home place looks kind of sad. It's fit for filing dust away to sit and smell some other day. Um, and I'll do one more, I think. Um, this one's called Stitches. Every stitch with which you sealed my truth behind my lips, dug into my tender flesh, and then you said to smile. You called me liar, thief, cheat. It wasn't pain that made me cry, you said, but guilt and dread. I pulled at the threads until I forced the stitches free and words bled from my gaping mouth. If I have a forked tongue, it was you who cut it into shape. Thank you. You want to read some, or? Well, <clears throat> not really. I think I would rather share my experience. Great. With the, uh, the uh, what's it called again? Well, why don't you tell us how it, how it started for you? I mean, okay. how you got hip to, <coughs> to sock. We call it sock, mm -hmm. short for Southern Appalachian Writers Cooperative. But, I mean, where did you, where no. did we first come onto your radar? Okay. Well, I've got a backstory too. All right. Uh, I'm Roger Collins, and uh, I guess I'd always dabbled in poetry and writing a little bit, but uh, after college, a friend of mine and I were teachers, and uh, we decided to step up our game and go to a uh, 
writing workshop at Lincoln Memorial University in Harrogate, Tennessee. So we take our notes and our scraps of paper, and we go in, and we sit in this big room, and then they start reading. And so the first lady reads, and we look at each other, and the second lady reads, and we think, we are out of our league, we're nervous, let's bail. So we did. So years pass, and then uh, uh, Jim and Scott get me to go to the uh, SOC conference in uh, Tennessee. And so there, I'd known a few of these people from meeting them here at Sea Time and the uh, just different poetry readings, but uh, I could really feel comfortable there. I could tell they were nurturing and not going to stab me, And although I did ruffle a few feathers, but that's okay. We talked about it on, on one, a couple of my poems, but <laughs> it, it went okay. You know, They settled down and told me what I could do or should do, or maybe it was all right the way it was. But anyway, that was a big thing for me, just having the confidence to put it out there and um, you know be exposed like that and not knowing if you're good enough or not, but... That was, that was the big thing about the conference for me. Here's my other point I just remembered. It was years ago, and uh, I brought my young son up here to Jim's Wiley's Last Resort, and we'd always hang out, and he'd see some of these guys reading poems and whatever. So one day we're sitting by the lake, me and Jim and my son Joey, and Joey says, Jim, how come you write? Why do you write poems? What's, what's up with that? Why do you do that? And Jim thought a minute and said, well, you know, it's a kind of a way to work things out in your head. If you've got a problem or something's going on, it's it's a way to get it out of your system and work it out. It's always like that explanation. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a question I wanted to ask you all is, um, can you remember sort of like the first time you read something that made you think, I really want to do that? Um, or, or the first time you really knew that writing was a thing that you wanted and needed to do? Well, uh, for me, in terms of writing, I mean, it's something that me and Rachel both have done since we were real little. I mean, our parents were sort of insistent uh, about it. And uh, But I wrote uh, songs. Was, my dad's a bluegrass musician, wanted me and my brother and, and Rachel to write songs. And, and uh, so we did that a little bit when we were younger. And sort of as I got older, I found that some things just don't quite fit in that strict structure. Um, sometimes you want to say something that you can't put in a song. So a lot of the time I'll write a poem and someone will say, oh, that's, you know, why don't you why don't you put music to that? You're a musician. And I'm like, well, if I could have put music to it, I probably would have. So for me, it was just, you know, growing up with it. And then I was, you know, at Berea College, took a class with Silas House and he was a great instructor and, and did a really good job of giving me the tools I needed where before I probably wouldn't have attempted uh, literature in the in the actual arena of literature. But uh, he gave me the tools I needed to, to do that. And so that built my confidence, and here I am. That was who had the uh, writing workshop at LMU at South South. I think it was his first one. Yeah. Ago. He's an interesting fellow. It came pretty late for me. Writing came very late for me, relatively speaking. Um, you know, I had a, a friend I grew up with who, uh, you know, was in junior high, was, was writing for the, uh, the school paper in the high school through college and, uh, you know, uh, been a sports writer in Cleveland and now Charlotte and for NASCAR. And he just writes constantly. He's probably the most prolific um, writer that I know. And, um, but it came late for me. And I, I think that, uh, simply being exposed to, 
some kind of writing. I think the thing that struck me more than anything is I came across an old Norton anthology that uh, had belonged to my late brother. And when I read through that and I saw his handwritten notes about different poems, that's when the power of writing kind of, I recognized it. And I thought that I wanted to play around with it a little bit. And I started off with, you know, lots of rhyming poems and occasional poems for birthdays and, and, uh, and anniversaries and so forth. And that got a lot of favorable attention. You know, young girls swooned. <laughs> That's and, a gateway uh, drug. And that know. encouraged me, of course, <laughs> naturally. So, uh, But it came late for me. I can answer. I think, um, like Matthew said, our whole family, they're musicians and they're writers, and, and we grew up being told that we could write and um, should write. So from a very early age, I was convinced that I was going to be a famous writer one day. That still hasn't happened to me, so we'll see. But um, I think that the turning point for me was when I was about 13, I had this group of friends, and we all started writing online together. And... Uh, we did that for years, and even after we stopped doing that actively, to this day, we'll still occasionally get together and write about that same universe that we created and all those characters. And when you spend that many years in in a world like that, and you think about it, as long as we've thought of it, it's been, I think, 12 years since we started doing that, and um, it just... It, it, it opens a new world of writing up to you. That, that, that's fiction writing, of course. It's not the same as poetry, and I've always been a bit of a poet, but it, it taught me that fiction takes time, I guess, is, I guess is where I'm going with that. And uh, it was, uh, if I hadn't had that experience, I don't know if, I'd, if I would have gone into writing as deeply as I, as I have. Well, that's an interesting question. I wonder... Uh, I know a, a few people who just felt like that they were going to uh, be writers and started from the get-go and and all, but I just started writing uh, pretty much uh, for my own amusement, pretty much uh, uh, in a in a quest for uh, uh, the laugh. Uh, the joke, doggerel, and uh, I found that uh, if I didn't amuse anybody else, I amused myself, and uh, so I guess the first time I saw my work in print was in high school when I wrote uh, an advice column for the Lovelorn called Hildegard's Hints. It was in uh, Hazard High School's uh, On the Hill, our uh, mimeographed uh, school paper. Well, the problem was nobody ever sent anything into Hildegard, and so I had to make up the questions and the answers. Uh, but it was the perfect opportunity for me to skewer my buddies. <laughs> I'm lucky to have survived it, actually, because none of them would know what was coming out of the, in the paper and all. And, you know, you can be pretty juvenile when you're in high school. And, uh, no way. Uh, yeah. And so uh, 
I had a little bit of fun with that, but uh, I never took it seriously uh, until after working three years for uh, the Appalachian Regional Hospitals, I was uh, uh, on the path to become uh, a, an, a hospital administrator. And uh, for lots of reasons I won't go into here, I, I was encouraged to, uh, that I should write and I should be a poet. And then I, that convinced me I should be the next John Updike, who was my favorite writer at the time. And uh, so I gave that up and uh, miraculous, miraculously was able to go to uh, graduate school at Eastern and uh, study literature, which I had never done. And, uh, uh, and so my first real publication was in Eastern's literary magazine. It was called, it's called, I assume it still goes on, it's called Aurora. And uh, that moment when the creative writing teacher, uh, William Sutton came in and uh, the book had just come out and I'm sitting there, and I was, uh, I, uh, lots of stories about not feeling as good as everybody else, that kind of thing. Uh, it's a long, long story about that, but um, when uh, he just came into the class and threw a copy of the book on my desk, and that was one of the most amazing moments of my life, you know, to, then to open it and to see, and it was a story, it wasn't a poem. Um, and, and to see that, and uh, I guess that set me on the path. You're listening to Mountain Talk on WMMT, broadcasting from the Apple Shop in Whitesburg, Kentucky. In this episode, we bring you history and poetry from the Southern Appalachian Writers Cooperative, recorded at the 2018 Seed Time on the Cumberland Festival. Well, maybe we could do, do some more reading and then talk a little bit more. This is Kill Uncle Raymond or the Dogs, or Notes from a Helpfully Unaware Editor. This poem began after I had written um, an article about Jim, and I wrote it to the editor's requested specifications, and then a second editor came in afterward and started making a lot of suggestions on where to cut Kill Uncle Raymond and the Dogs, or Notes from a Helpfully Unaware Editor. We asked for 10,000 words, but we'll use more Nelson Pilsner photos. Please cut 2,000 words. We suggest a title change from Riding Around with Wilgus to simply a portrait of Jim Webb. We've corrected Wiley Coyote to Wiley Coyote. We've corrected Walden Pond to Walden Pond. Please clarify that the pond in your piece is not that famous one in New York. We've corrected Lester's Flat to Lester Flats. We know you meant swamp versus swarp, but swamps on Pine Mountain? How about damp spot? We've corrected all swarpers to swampers. We've replaced all mentions of Pine Mountain Tacky Lawn Ornament and Pink Flamingo Soiree with Party, 
it saves 24 words. We've corrected sandbar and gorilla to bar and grill. Kill Uncle Raymond. He is just too interesting. He distracts the reader. That saves 396 words. We've corrected Elmo's Haven to Almost Heaven. Hippies in Kentucky. It strains belief, let alone 300 hippies dancing under a full moon. We've corrected Fool Moon to Full Moon. Why is Jim Webb called Ski King by the narrator? Can you explain? We've corrected doctor to doctor. Kill the dogs. There are just too many dogs. Cut them all. Saves 857 words. We've corrected barking lot to parking lot. We've replaced all references to refreshing cold adult beverage to simply beer. This saves 12 words. We've corrected stairway to haven to stairway to heaven. We cut the part where Wilgus drones on and on about rabbits saving the mountains. It's just too weird. This saves 373 words. We've corrected Henry David Thoroughfare to Thoroughfare. Cut the I Ching. Readers will take it. Talk of hexagrams as something satanic. That saves 262 words. We've corrected all swarped to swamped, but note where it makes little sense. Something to do with hippies? <laughs> well, Jim, you want to read some now? That was, <laughs> that was a good... Uh, uh, sure, that sure. Sets you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. That's a, a thank you, sir. That was uh, uh, somewhat humorous. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> well, I was yeah, very humorous, extremely humorous. Thank you very much. All right, you're welcome, very little. I remember uh, one time asking uh, someone to uh, type some writing I had done, you know, handwriting. Of, you know, I, I still don't type very well. I still don't type. Uh, but... Uh, it was an interest. It was the the secretary at at the at the college I was teaching at, and and uh, she just offered to help, and and so <laughs> uh, when it came back, uh, she was very bright, and uh, she had of course corrected all of my misspellings, uh, but not not to to brag too much, but I'm a very good speller. I have been since fourth grade. I loved to spell, and uh, I love puns and uh, twisting words around and and uh, making things up and stuff. And uh, so when I got to this manuscript back, <laughs> I looked at it and and thought, well, I had. So then I had to go and tell her. I said, please uh, just type it exactly as you see it. And uh, uh, and so we. I suspect we've all gone through that. One of the things I've always strived to do, I also helped with a teacher of mine at Eastern, Gordon Browning, and my buddy Ernie McAfee. We started a literary magazine when I was in graduate school called Rec, and I was just blessed in having access to a print shop because back then you didn't have all this stuff. You didn't even have photocopy machines around and stuff. So uh, it was... Uh, uh, 
uh, doing that kind of thing. But no matter how hard I tried, it seems like there's always some kind of a typo that goes through. And everything, and I, and I'm a, I'm, I'm a good proofreader, uh, but it's just no matter how many times you go through a manuscript and all, it's so easy for that one or two little things. And I decided at that at that time that uh, if I ever had, if there was ever a typo on something that I'd written when it was published that I wouldn't get upset because I've known writers to get upset uh, and uh, n- not allowing the human nature of the whole process. And so I had decided, I, de- I, de- I decided, and I still believe that, uh, that uh, uh, and I've suffered from that a time or two, especially with the way I m- muck around with words and all, and uh, uh, so that I would never get upset because, you know, as soon as, and it seems like as soon as you get the book back, the first page you open has the type, the first typo. It's just there are just certain cosmic parts of it all. Uh, so that's just speaking of editing and publishing and all of that. I uh, well, while you're looking that up on that topic, I want to if it if I may, I want to read real quick a poem by Ann Shelby. This was in volume. I don't know, of Pine Mountain Sand and Gravel, probably 15 years ago. I love this poem. I'm so excited. It, it's called Spell Check, <laughs> right? Uh, and you it, know this poem? Oh, I love this yeah. poem. <laughs> Spell Check. It's handy, but not much account for writing hillbilly poems with. It won't let you waller. It won't let you foller a feller up the holler. Makes you have titles where titties ought to be. I'll go along with changing logwoods into dogwoods. But before I could say undo, it turned my house cat to a house coat. Salad, new ground, June bug, graveyard, not in dictionary. You can't have a grandbaby on this thing without special arrangements. One spell transformed my taters into tatters. Serve me subpoenas when I know I ordered soup beans. <laughs> now it wants to replace the home place with just some place. Who cast the spell that changed proud to poor, turned minnows into memories? I need flies buzzing in this poem, cool snap of beans breaking on the porch, tenor of coon hounds on a moonlit ridge, exit, float a while on a honeysuckle breeze. Spell, how long you sat on a sycamore bank with your feet in the creek. Yeah, that's a classic, Aunt Shelby. All right, this is uh, I, I always like to. Uh, my book's called "Get in Jesus: New and Selected Poems." It's uh, uh, a poem I would like to share with you here after this one, but I always like to have uh, some uh, theological uh, stuff in my writing. This one's called "Original Sin." I believe in original sin. It's just hard to think of something new. (laughs) I believe that was one of Poppy's favorite out of of this book. Our grandfather loves Oh yeah, our grandfather was a big fan of yours. (laughs) I like the other one, the the one after that. 
Yeah. Well, the original's in. Yeah. Original. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> original Zen. I believe in original Zen. It's just hard to contemplate something new. <laughs> uh, I guess you could think those two go together. <laughs> this is a true story poem. Most of mine are in one way or another. Uh, I was... It was a beautiful spring day. I used to love to hitchhike. I used to hitchhike a lot, and uh, uh, I shudder at the thought now. But I was uh, outside of Jenkins here in Letcher County, uh, Jenkins, the town of my birth, uh, hitchhiking back to Williamson, West Virginia, on a spring afternoon, a Sunday afternoon, and uh, was not having any luck. It was going to take quite a while, it looked like, and uh, I had long hair back then, and uh, <laughs> speaking of hippies and stuff, I looked like one. I don't think I was one. but uh, Unlike now when you've cleaned up quite a bit. Short <laughs> <hair>. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, this is Get In Jesus. I stood the sawed-off hours you stand when you're outside of Jenkins, hitchhiking home. The Letcher Pike line ain't no place for a hippie to catch a ride. Long hair, hairy beard, blue jeans, backpacked, makes it too crowded for the churchgoers whose front plate proclaims, God is my co-pilot. Too crowded for those who eat more possum, for coal trucks, county mounties, and countless others. Till as in the numb, dumb dreams you have when there's nothing else. A wore-out 57 Chevy 210 two-door screams and stops. The door flies open, and a mountain crazy says, Get in, Jesus. Knowing even saints appear at Halloween and knowing no others are likely, I climb in the back seat. Up front, two card-carrying, sad, lost-eyed, burned-out John Greenleaf and Detroit Cityers. And now two in back, settle down with the floor's dust. The car spins off. The Boone's Farm is passed. I drink. The only one who talks looks back and says, Where are you going, Jesus? Mingo County, West Virginia, I say. West Virginia? Have another drink. <laughs> I drink again. Almost heaven, I say, watching the green spring fly by. He says, I ain't never rode with Jesus before. I say, neither have I. Ah, come on now, Jesus, you can tell us. We won't tell no one. And they all cackle, and I laugh too, and take another swig. The wine's as sweet and terrible as the God I've heard about all my days. 
They're riding crazy. So Jesus crosses my mind. And I think about it, about being Jesus and saving souls by losing mine. A body could do worse. Being Jesus might be better than I'll be. Pour the coal to it, boys, Jesus says. And they howl. The driver squeals a curve away. We're flying about as high as the earth can stand. Saints all, martyrs to wars, whores, pieces of silver. Saints lost and dying. Hey, Jesus, tell us something. What's it like to be hung up on a cross? It ain't for spit, I say. What'd you let them do it for, Jesus? Just couldn't help myself, I say, and laugh. We all laugh and they're tickled that God would ride with them and drink sweet, cheap wine without even wiping the bottle. As for me, when they cut off just the other side of Virgie, I got out. The door stood open. Are you really Jesus? He says with a sawmill smile. I smile back. If I was Jesus, you think I'd be thumbing? We all grin. Wheels spin. Gravels fly. The dust settles. That's a classic. Thank you very much. That's, a, that's, that's my greatest hit. <laughs> Do a medley of my hits. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, uh, you don't think about that, but you know, musicians have hits, and they do them over and over and over again. And uh, I think that's one of the problems with with poetry is that people don't hear poems over and over and over again. And and a really good poem has uh, many opportunities that that you'll miss uh, going through, particularly if, if the reader is, reads too fast or, or whatever is nervous. I find that was uh, is common and has been common was with me uh, when you're less experienced and and actually it takes something to get up in front of people and and pour your heart out like that and usually that's what poems are. Uh, you're really uh, exposing yourself to the world and you're exposing you. What if they don't like it and things like that? One of the things I always uh, have encouraged writers to, to not do, and a lot of them do, is, is well, this one's not very good, but, you know, uh, you may not like this one, but, uh, you, know, I, you know, you just got to go into it that they are going to like it and it is good. And, uh, and that's tough. You know, it takes a long time to get over that... Uh, uh, that insecurity, that nervousness of uh, exposing yourself to the whole world. Well, and in in light of that, I've got I've got one here, and uh, I can't say a lot about it for fear I may uh, incur the wrath wrath of those it's about. But uh, suffice to say that um, in just the very uh, recent past. Uh, we've started doing a, a fundraiser for our homestead because um, 
there's a piece of land that is surrounding our property on basically every side and it's um potentially going to be logged it's already been logged a little bit but that was a small company and they moved out but any big company could log it for pulpwood pretty easily and that's what we're worried about so we're trying to buy it put it in a land trust and all that and of course that's a huge thing and so we did a fundraiser to do that which makes all of us uncomfortable because we've been raised not to ask for anything you know and so so really our fundraiser we've got all kinds of rewards and stuff for donating it's more like a store than a fundraiser but um but anyway um when we started doing that, um, a few a few folks have taken some opposition to it. Uh, give me that whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps uh, sort of spiel, and that's what that's what this poem's about. It's called the harness. I'm feeling a little sore. I sort of licked a salt block and lapped at an open wound, and brooded over the sting, thinking hard work has ruined me. But it's about time I tune in, turn my ear from the wind, and let you bend it for a minute. But you grab on with sandpaper fingers and twist, making a fist upside my head, and beat that proverbial horse dead. Though I've never nearly starved, I could hear the bar moaning a time or two, warning me that the storm was coming and I'd better put something away for the winter. You may have put away twice as much yourself, with only your wealth to lean on, but you've never hardly went hungry. I have no bootstraps. I have no boots. I've only got myself and my roots and a coal-covered history cribbing on a, cribbing on a barn door. I'm hitched to a harness already. Oh, ugh. Sorry, let me restart that. Should I just go from the beginning of that? Is that all right? Sure. Um, sure. That, all right. Sorry. It's okay. The Harness I'm feeling a little sore. I sort of licked a salt block and lapped at an open wound and brooded over the sting, thinking, hard work has ruined me. But it's about time I tune in, turn my ear from the wind, and let you bend it for a minute. But you grab on with sandpaper fingers and twist, making a fist upside my head and beat that proverbial horse dead. Though I've never nearly starved, I could hear the bar moaning a time or two, warning me that the storm was coming, and I'd better put something away for the winter. You may have put away twice as much yourself, with only your wealth to lean on, but you've never hardly went hungry. I have no bootstraps. I have no boots. I've only got myself and my roots, and a coal-covered history cribbing on a barn door. I'm hitched to a harness already. I'd rather not be hitched to yours. So that one's just a little bit of poking fun at some some of that idea. Um, and uh, here's one that I particularly like, because those same sorts of folks that'll tell you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps will also go on and on and on about the Constitution and maybe this is a little politically charged but frankly I never thought the Constitution was all that great and it's been edited a great many times so I don't I don't really see the value it's it's a holy document value is a bit lost on me but it was written by people who are not very much if any older than I am and I'm not very old and I don't trust myself to rule a country for 200 years so I certainly don't expect 
the Constitution to. So this one's called uh, Forefathers. Have you ever admired the greased feather look, or looked up to a crooked nose and supposed he did his best to earn it? Have you ever learned anything from the drunk sons of guns, wasted twenty-somethings just beginning to hatch hard-boiled ideas? They're just barely half-baked, raked over their own coals. Do you make a habit of having juvenile cabinet members still cooking on last night's embers? In light, these historical giants appear Lilliputian. Now, what say you of the Constitution? I rest my case. It's <laughs> <laughs> a hard act to follow, Matt. You can turn that mic towards you. Let me do that. I don't need it anymore. You don't need it anymore. Yeah. You probably don't. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say briefly before I read anything that... Um, what Jim was saying about a classic poem, I feel like Gideon Jesus is a classic poem for me, and it's what I meant when I said earlier that I've admired Sock for a great many years um, because my grandfather loved this book of poems so much. And I believe that my grandfather and my mother gave you a ride one time, Jim, because my grandfather talked about it after that, um, and he always said that he rolled the window down. He was in the passenger side seat, and he saw you on the side of the road and hollered out, Get in, Jesus. Um, I believe it was at Blair Mountain, um, March on Blair Mountain, uh, if I'm not mistaken. It but it could have been, been lobbying in D.C. I get them all mixed up. It's been was quite a while. Was it you, or was it the real Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure Poppy well, would have made a made what, the mistake. <laughs> what's the difference That's is what true. I want to know. That's <laughs> So some poems are classics, and some poems, as Scott was saying, are uh, written for specific people. And uh, this one's written for my best friend, and I'm really proud of her. She's in Japan right now, has been for the last two years, teaching English to school kids. And uh, that's been challenging for her, and um, I wrote her this poem uh, a couple months ago to sort of express to her how much admiration I have for her. She, her family immigrated to the U.S. when she was eight years old from Belarus. And uh, she's always, I think, been in between spaces. And as a result, it makes her a more interesting person, I think. And So this is for her. This is for Inga. It's called Baba Yaga. <clears throat> Your heritage is something of old magic waiting in the wild, bone deep with iron teeth, somewhere between fact and folklore. Let the princes and wizards play games at your expense. You can spell a man, smell a man's spirit. You are the clouds, moon, life, death. Sweep away the traces of your dalliance with the world of mortals. Use the same silver birch broom to travel the wind. Your soul friends are at your command, fierce general of bright dawn, dark midnight. Never mind that there is earth mixed with your poppy seeds. There is more to life than fake smiles and carefully chosen words, putting on illusions for the comfort of others while they mistake your kindness for weakness. Who is it that foolish men turn to for help when they open the forbidden doors? Baba Yaga can aid them or devour them. Such is the energy that is within you. Balance they call ambiguity. And then I'll just do one more real quick one. Speaking of Japan... Um, are you all familiar with that natural phenomenon? You'll have this beautiful sunny day, the skies are blue, there's not a cloud in the sky, and all of a sudden it'll just start raining on you. 
that um, there's a folk belief in Japan that when this happens, it's because fox spirits are getting married, and they call it a fox's wedding. Hmm. So that's what this is about. Fox's wedding. The greening rains spread a cool mist on a hot, humid day while the sun never blinks its burning eye. In the quietude of the forest, a solitary ceremony beneath a canopy of trees breaks open the sky. I hope the old fox god enjoys his woodland nuptials. As for us mere mortals, he has ruined our picnic. Um, uh, if anyone is interested in um, either uh, getting to know the Southern Appalachian, Writer, Southern Appalachian Writers Cooperative or uh, is interested in submitting work for our journal, Pine Mountain Sand and Gravel, uh, they can go to the website, SAWC Online, S-A-W-C-O-N-L-I-N-E dot net, SAWCOnline.net. There's a great deal of information there about the Southern Appalachian Writers Co-op, our history, our mission. And then there's also information about current readings, about the fall gathering, and also how to submit to the journal Pine Mountain Sand and Gravel. The current issue um, is out and about now. The, um, the submission deadline is always April 15th, and then the publication comes out at Highlander in October. So it's Every six months, we're doing something. So the um, the issue that's being worked on right now, the theme for that is Appalachia acting up, interpreted any way that you know you would want to interpret that. And then uh, I think that Paulette Hansel, the managing editor, has not quite decided what the next um, theme will be, but we've had really good success uh, working with these different themes. And um, um, so that issue, acting up, Appalachia acting up, will be coming out in October. Great. Well, thank you all so much for making time for this and um, joining me on the radio today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Went down to the crossroads. I tried to flag a ride. That's it for this episode of Mountain Talk, featuring some history and poetry from the Southern Appalachian Writers Cooperative. Music on this episode comes from the June Apple recording of Sparky Rucker with a tune called Crossroads. If you'd like to hear this or previous episodes again, you can find them on our website, www.wmmt.org, or on SoundCloud and Stitcher. I've been your host, Rachel Geringer, and from all of us at WMMT, thanks for listening to Real People Radio. Yeah.